Something has changed within me. Something is not the same. I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Too late for second guessing. Too late to go back to sleep. It's time to trust my instincts. Close my eyes and leave. It's time to try defying gravity. I think I'll try defying gravity, and you won't bring me down. I'm through accepting limits. Someone says they're so. Some things I cannot change, but till I try, I'll never know. Too long I've been afraid of losing love. I guess I've lost. Well, if that's love, it comes at much too high a cost. I sooner die defying gravity. Kiss me goodbye. Defying gravity And you can't pull me down Unlimited My future is Unlimited And I just had a vision Almost like a Prophecy, I know it sounds truly crazy and true. The vision's hazy, but I swear someday I'll be up in the sky, defying gravity. Someone told me lately, everyone deserves a chance to fly. And if I'm flying solo, at least I'm flying free. To those who drown me, take a message back from me. In all of us, no wizard that there is or was is ever gonna bring me down. Bring me A story is true, a story is untrue, 
A story is a work of transformative fiction. As time extends, it matters less and less. Hello, I'm Kendra Spring Classic, and welcome back to Reading Between the Lines, a podcast by fandom nerds for fandom nerds. This podcast is all about fan fiction, the much maligned art form that, nevertheless, brings many people cathartic levels of joy, not just in the reading of it, but in the creation of it as well. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're so glad to have you. But be sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. These are evergreen stories, which can be revisited again and again. You're certain to discover something new each time. I know I have. In last month's episode, I spoke with my dear friend Tora, the Polish author responsible for Cinnamon, which we featured for October, and who also wrote one of my absolute favorite coffee shop AUs of Coffee and Parrots. If you haven't read that one and you like a long-haired braided flint and barista silver with an extra helping of poodle charm, do yourselves a favor. It's an absolute treat. Tora and I spoke about her inexhaustible dedication to research, our shared love of cosplay and Lord of the Rings, and we also touched on writing scenes of intimacy so that the tone fits exactly right. This month is a bit of a departure for the podcast. As some of you may know, I was suffering from bronchitis for about a month and a half, from a few days before Cinnamon was released, actually, and have been unable to record The Truth About Eros, a 21,000-word Silver Flint Soulmate AU by Isa Lin, which was slated to be the November episode. However, on November 16th, I was vocally recovered enough to speak, at the invitation of a family friend, Vicki Coffin, at her philanthropic educational organization meeting on the subject of fan fiction. Disclaimer, this was recorded on my phone, sitting next to me on an adjacent table, so it's not going to sound as crystal clear as I normally do in studio. That being said, I was surprised at the quality of the sound I was able to get. I will tell you from the jump that I am no expert on the subject, and my opinions on fan fiction may not line up with yours, but I think we can all unite under the banner of our love of fan fiction, either as readers or as writers. When I speak about works and address them as fan fiction, I'm touching on all works that fall under the umbrella of transformative works. There are different subgenres underneath that umbrella, but I don't believe any of them to be less valid than anything else. The only thing that should have any bearing in this estimation is the quality, or lack thereof, of the actual writing itself. I've read many works of fan fiction which, structurally, outshine a lot of mainstream bestsellers. Of course, there's a lot of drivel as well, but that's the fault of the writer, not the genre itself. I chose to begin the episode with Defying Gravity from Wicked by Stephen Schwartz, an adaptation of James McGuire's transformative novel by the same name. A novel that, no matter which way you slice it, is a fanfic reimagining of The Wizard of Oz, much like Black Sails itself is a work of Treasure Island fanfiction. Before I waste too much time listing out all of the mainstream titles we try to pretend aren't fanfiction but actually are, Let's just dive into this discussion, shall we? I am so excited. I am so excited for you to meet my dear, dear friend, Kendra Classic, Kendra Spring Classic. Um, oh, I'm going to start to cry. <laughs> um, Kendra is um, a dear friend of the family. And uh, she, 
we're so glad that you are living in America again. She and her husband have two little boys, um, and uh, they have lived in Japan, uh, wow. and lived here and then lived in Japan. But uh, Kendra has many, many gifts. And I think probably um, the best, uh, I, I will forget something if I try to tell you what her gifts are. Um, and so um, she's here tonight to talk about fan fiction, which I had no idea what fan fiction was. No idea whatsoever. I would like if I could just turn it over to you, Kendra, to just maybe introduce yourself, tell sure. a little bit about yourself, and I'm just going to turn it over to you. Sure. I'm and so proud of her. I just <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me to, to speak with you all. Um, I'm really, really excited to be here. A little bit about my background. I grew up in South Florida, so I'm not a local. Um, I've had a fairly nomadic um, existence since hitting my early adulthood. Um, I grew up in West Palm Beach and then I worked in theater for about 25 years in South Florida. I uh, worked at Palm Beach Drama Works. I have done a number of operas with various opera companies in South Florida. Um, kind of hit a little bit of a midlife crisis and decided to uproot from South Florida moved to Chicago, uh, where I went to culinary school. And at the same time, I was working at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And uh, most of the people at Chicago Shakespeare that I was working with uh, in my particular uh, department were alumni from Nebraska Wesleyan from their theater department. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I was just this Florida girl working with a bunch of Nebraskans in Chicago. So um, I met uh, my husband, Jordan, when he came to visit all of his friends. And we ended up at a gathering together, really hit it off. Um, we started dating and I was driving back and forth every other weekend between uh, Chicago, well, taking the Megabus, um, which uh, was convenient and cheap, but not the safest uh, form of transportation. <laughs> Um, but I was going back and forth between, uh, Chicago and Omaha and he would pick me up in Omaha and drive me to Lincoln. And, um, after about six months of that, I was like, enough is enough. So I had planned after graduating from culinary school to move out to LA. My dad, um, lives out in LA with his wife and, um, decided, nope. Lincoln it is. And so I moved to Lincoln, got married, had our first uh, Anton, who is uh, going to be 10 this month. And when he was about two and a half, um, Jordan got the opportunity to move to Japan through uh, Wesleyan with the JET program. Normally, you can do a year of a JET contract or it's renewable up to five years. We decided to stay the full five so that Anton could be fluent by the time we left. Uh, and while we were there, we had our second. Um, when we came home in 2021, Anton was seven and Charlie, our youngest, was three and a half. Mm -hmm. 
So we've been back for a few years. Um, one of the things that got me in, involved in this is um, feeling very, very isolated overseas. And um, I've always been very deeply involved in theater and being so cut off from that part of my life for so long, I was trying to find uh, something that would ignite that passion again for literature, for performance, for something. Um, there were no outlets for me to actually perform. I got into, I did some voiceover work there um, in Fukuoka, which was the largest, closest city. And so I would go and do commercial voiceover work in studio. Um, but in terms of something that was like really enriching me emotionally and intellectually, there just was nothing. During the pandemic, I started going through um, and looking for shows that I hadn't seen that maybe had piqued my interest at one point, um, but then I abandoned because I just didn't have time. Well, at that point, I had nothing but time. So I started watching a, a pirate show called Black Sails. And I've always had a fascination with nautical things, and I love the Patrick O'Brien books. And I had always been a fan of the lead actor in the show, uh, Toby Stevens, who's actually the son of Dame Maggie Smith. And because of the pedigree that was going into that show, what it promised was like, it was produced by Michael Bay. So it was promised like big explosions and loud booming stuff. But what it turned into was if Shakespeare wrote a pirate show. And it, was, it had incredible depth, incredible complexity. And what happened was when this show ended, it did not let go of me. I didn't know what to do. Like just, I was com just completely fixated on all these themes and all these characters. And I had never read a single work of fan fiction in my life, but I knew of its existence because coming up through literature, you know how much actual fan fiction is saturated in literature that you read every day. You don't realize you're reading fan fiction. Has anybody heard of the novel White Sargasso Sea? It's a critically acclaimed novel that was written in 1966, and it's about Antoinette Bertha Mason. And she is the wife in the attic in Jane Eyre. So it is a piece of fan fiction written in the 1960s by a Dominican author, Jean Rhys, who decided I didn't, she didn't like how Bertha was treated in the novel. She was going to fix it. And so a lot of fan fiction is made up of fix-it-fix, things that you think need to be expounded on, people whose voices you think weren't properly heard. And she wrote an entire novel based on alternated perspectives of Bertha coming up through their marriage and then of Rochester telling their story uh, in a different way. And that, again, was critically acclaimed, won literary awards, was named one of the 100 best English novels since 1923. And yet, when we think of fan fiction today, it is spoken about uh, with derision. Because fan fiction, the way we think about it, 
is something that is not published, is something that a bunch of, you know, desperate kids in their basements are like typing about like, oh, you know, ha 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 ha. But it's not. It's people who are inspired by a story and um, it is under the banner of fair use and it is called transformative work. So anytime you take a pre-existing uh, intellectual property, whether it be a film, a novel, um, a show, a Broadway production, there's fan fiction on it. Everything. Any of that which, which takes it and makes it transcendent changes something about it while still keeping the core of that story intact. That's fan fiction. So when you look back, there's a lot of literary fan fiction that people don't really want to say is fan fiction. Shakespeare. Most of Shakespeare's work was based on derivative works. He looked at stories that had been told and said, I can do this better. And he did. And it's fan fiction because it is someone who ha was inspired by a character or a story that he absolutely loved, couldn't get it out of the system. He could have written anything else. He could have created anything else, but all of his work is based on pre-existing material, pre-existing ideas that he turned into magic because yeah. it doesn't matter if your idea is not 100 completely, 100% original. What matters is how you say it. There's a line from Black Sails, uh, John Silver. Black Sails is basically fan fiction. It is a, it is a prequel to uh, Treasure Island. So a lot of the characters in Treasure Island are present in Black Sails. They also bring in a lot of actual real world pirates and kind of mix them together in this melting pot. So Long John Silver, this is basically the backstory of Long John Silver. And he is um, a very good storyteller, very captivating. It's how he gets people to follow him. And two other characters are watching him and he's making this speech and everybody is just enraptured. And someone says, I've heard that story before. It's not his. And Mr. Scott, one of the other characters says, but the power is in the telling of it. So it does not have to be your story, but it just has to be beautifully told. So that is uh, how I got into fan fiction, and that's basically a definition of what uh, fan fiction is. Now, in terms of the legality of fan fiction, I'm gonna refer to my notes here. So fan fiction falls under um, the Fair Use Act as transformative work. And the definition of transformative work is in United States copyright law, uh, transformative use or transformation is a type of fair use that builds on a copyrighted work in a different manner or for a different purpose from the original and thus does not infringe its holder's copyright. Transformation is an important issue in deciding whether uh, a use meets the first factor of the fair use test. So you cannot tell the same story exactly the same way that's not transformative. Something about it has to change your viewpoint um, and has to change the, um, 
the spark of the story. So if I tell the same story in the same way, but like paraphrase it, that's not fair use. That's not transformative work. That's plagiarism. Uh, but if I decide that I don't like the ending of this story and I want to put these characters back through this story, <coughs> making them have different decisions this time, you're telling the same story. Every one of us, if we made one decision differently, could be in wildly different places. So that's what a fix-it fic is. But not all of uh, fan fiction falls under that. So sometimes we just are very fascinated by something that is an offhand mention in a work. And so some authors are just can't let that go. And so they'll focus in on that little part of the story and just expand it. And it's another fascinating piece of a story that you've heard a million times, but from a different perspective. So it, in that way, it's more like the author is kind of burrowing in and just looking around and, and you are looking through that author's eyes at what they find fascinating about the work. It may not be what you find fascinating, but it's, it's always interesting um, to get somebody else's perspective on a story. Um, in terms of the ethics of fan fiction and fandom writing, White Sargasso Sea was a widely published novel. Uh, Jean Reese made a lot of money off of it. Um, does anybody know that Fifty Shades of Grey was fan fiction? No. <laughs> it was. It was Twilight fan fiction. The author decided to get around the legality of transformative work, whereas you can't make any money off of a, of a work of fan fiction unless there are two things. You can either have permission from the, uh, the copyright holder or the work could have fallen into public domain. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of public domain um, fan fiction stories that get published. That's why Shakespeare could put all of his stuff out based on stories. There was no copyright law back then. A story was a story and whoever wrote it best made the money off of it. So how she got away with it was she took her work of fan fiction that was Bella and Edward and did a search and replace on the names in her document and replaced the names uh, of Bella and Edward to um, Christian Grey and I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan, so I can't remember her name. Um, but that was a work of fan fiction. She made a ton of money. Do I think that's ethical? Absolutely not. However, the core of fan fiction is completely selfless. It is people writing for the sake of writing. It's writing because their friends in the fandom are like, oh, I, I wish someone would write it this way. Even people who, you know, I don't have the gifts of writing that you do, but I would love to see your take on this. They will publish a work on um, this website that was built to protect fan fiction as transformative work. It's called AO3 um, or Archive of Our Own. 
So it is a place where authors can upload their stories. Um, it's categorized by fandom and um, you can search a bunch of different filters and things like that um, for things that you absolutely want to see. If you want a certain perspective, uh, a certain character, there's filters that you can hit and you can pull exactly what you want. So it's, it's really, really cool. Um, but what those authors get are literally just comments of people saying how much they love the work. People will write comments as long as the story itself. They will take almost every paragraph and talk about how much it means to them. That is their payment. That's the only dime that they ever get from any of this work. And a lot of them spend just countless hours. Yeah, it is absolutely for the love of it. So in terms of whether or not uh, fan fiction is supported by the people who are writing original works. It's far easier to give you a list of the people who don't like fan fiction than the people who support it. So there are two um, very outspoken people against fan fiction. One of them was Anne Rice. And Anne Rice was against it for her work only. And it was because Anne writes, uh, her character's very personal to her. She wrote it as a way of coping with the death of her daughter. And so a lot of these characters are imbued with the personality of her daughter, with her own personal trauma. The character of Lestat was uh, basically her idea of how she wished she could have coped without trauma. The character of Louis was who she actually was. And so for her, it was very personal. She doesn't want anybody messing with those characters, but she hasn't been outspoken about fandom outside of her own work. There's another one, Diana Gabaldon, who 100%, and probably most of you know who Diana Gabaldon is, she writes the Outlander series. She hates fan fiction, hates it with a passion. And I have some pull quotes because she's never been shy about speaking her mind about it. So she said in a long rant that she since deleted, okay, my position on fanfic is pretty clear. I think it's immoral. I know it's illegal. It's not. Uh, and it makes me want to barf whenever I inadvertently encounter some of it involving my characters. Suck it up guys. If you want to write, write and write your own stuff. It does take courage, but that's the only way to learn how, believe me. Beyond the specific arguments against the concept remains the unfortunate fact that a terrible lot of fanfic is outright cringeworthy and ought to be suppressed on purely aesthetic grounds. So her take on fanfiction is, it's not as good as me, you'll never be as good as me, so don't try. <laughs> There's re no real reason that she would be against fanfiction. There's not a single thing that she says in here that makes any sense in terms of legality because one, it's not illegal, it is protected. Um, there is an organization called the uh, Organization for Transformative Works that is constantly working to protect fan fiction writers. So um, ethically, I think that fan fiction does a lot to build up enjoyment of something, increase uh, understanding of a work, 
And also, you know, it, it's the highest form of flattery that you can give an, a, a writer is that these characters that you created, we love so much, we just can't let them go. And can I mm -hmm. just ask a question? Sure. So the majority of people don't mind that their works are being transformed. No. They're, they see it as flattery. They do. They do. And there are, it is becoming um, more increasingly mainstream in terms of the acceptance of fan fiction. So uh, a lot of creators of uh, more niche television uh, series and things like that are very accepting um, of fan fiction because it creates what was what could have been a flash in the pan and it it creates a cult following on their show so one of the questions that you had was does fan fiction have to stay true to a character time place or situation and his or her personality so the short answer is there are no rules for fan fiction and the better answer is that everything can change except the nature and personality of the character uh, because otherwise, it's not that person. It's not that character. It's a name and a physical description. But when we say that there are no rules, we don't mean to say that the world of fan fiction is a lawless wasteland. Um, each fandom does a really good job of policing its own works. So if there is something that uh, a certain author does that upsets a lot of people in the fandom, a way that they treat a character that they think is just disrespectful or something that is really triggering for a lot of people you know the fandom does a really good job at cracking down on that um, finding ways to to filter those out and censor those um, to a point where at a you know eventually those ideas are just accepted that we don't write about that so one of the cool things about transformative work is that uh, if you're able to surgically extract your chosen characters and put them down somewhere else while maintaining their core personalities, but if you're changing everything around them, you have to adapt, adapt their choices to their new environment and their new circumstances, um, their perhaps altered backstories. And so that is the true glory of transformative fiction um, and it is an art. It's, it's very easy to write your own character. And a lot of authors will say, you know, my character made these choices and I didn't really make these decisions. I just, you know, as I was writing, the characters write themselves. That doesn't work with fan fiction. You have a character, you have a personality, you have a core. You have to figure out it with a bit of psychology how this character that someone else created is going to react in your world that you just put them in. So you can, you can take um, a character from, say, Sherlock. Um, Sherlock was actually one of the original sources of fan fiction. When the original novels were written and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle killed off Sherlock Holmes in the last book, that sparked a bunch of angry readers writing letters to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And a lot of the letters were like, here, this is how you should have ended it. And that was the first really massive 
response of people rewriting a story saying, we love this character so much, please don't do this to them. And let me fix the story for you. And that has continued. Um, and it was really the first um, sense of like fandoms coming together, people meeting and discussing their ideas about certain uh, work all together and creating that sense of community. I don't want you to be shy, of, and I don't think you are shy, but I want you to tell the, these gals what you're doing. So one of the things that um, I have always um, seen as a disservice is, again, just how little <coughs> light is shined on these authors that are creating really beautiful works. And they are not published. Um, they cannot get them published. And one of the things that I struggled with is I love reading, but as a mom, I'm never sitting down. I am um, really, really addicted to audiobooks because it lets me consume literature while I am folding laundry, while I'm opening my cafe in the morning, um, while I'm, I'm going about doing my thing. But I can't read uh, or listen to fan fiction as an audiobook because no one's going to give them that treatment because they can't get any publishing rights. So one of the things I decided that I was going to do since I love audio narration is I was going to start a podcast. I would feature one story each episode. And then after the story, I would sit down for an interview with the writer. We would talk about their inspiration for the story, their background in writing and literature. And uh, then that always, every single episode has led into a really deep dive analytical look at the, the original source material itself. So not only is it shining a light on this work, it's really uh, giving a really deep, creative and introspective look at the original work and honoring that as well. How, how beautifully written you know, this show was that's inspired all of us. And so at the beginning of every episode, I work with the author to choose a song that they think um, really represents the story that they've written or something that they listened to while they were writing, something that represents that for them. Um, and so I do either a full or a short um, cover of that song as the intro music. So the intro music for, to the podcast changes with each one. As in she sings it. Oh. So um, w one of the things that I noticed as I was reaching out to authors um, whose works I really loved. And you go by a screen name. You don't know anything about these people until you reach out to them. And a lot of the stories that I was drawn to were written by people writing in a, as English in a second language. And so far, I have had <coughs> someone from the Ukraine. I've had someone from Poland. I've had someone from Croatia. And all of them, I had no idea reading these stories that English was not their first language. Because as they're learning it, extracted from our idiomatic slang uh, environment, 
they're getting this beautifully distilled language that is extremely poetic. And so it reads like high forms of literature. And it's absolutely beautiful. So I actually have just a brief excerpt from the story that I featured uh, by the Croatian author. And it starts out with a quote from uh, Marcus Aurelius. Look back over the past with its changing empires that rose and fell, and you can foresee the future too, Marcus Aurelius. The wall of tall grasses sways and stutters in the wind. The green reed stalks bow gracefully, glinting in the blinding midday sun and cresting in small waves. They shine like wave foam. This is just a trick of the light though. Never in his life has James McGraw been this far away from the sea. When he was a child, the windows of the house where he lived looked straight out over the harbor, and he could hear drunken sailors rumbling, rumbling past every evening on their way to the tavern to make sure they did not sober up for a mere moment. It's a hard life for, man, for a man of the sea, his grandfather would say. She is a cruel and wily wife, and if you forget to respect her, well, you can forget the rest of your life as well. Best leave her alone, his grandfather warned, if you're not prepared. And what did James do? Went off to the Navy the first moment he got. It was either that or the trade ships, but those got attacked by pirates. He'd rather be the one doing the attacking. So the Navy it was. When he thinks about it, and he doesn't, not very often, his life decisions usually settle between debatable and downright dismal. He's not sure where he here begins to fall on that spectrum. He's tried to stop thinking like that a while ago. The thoughts would have crushed him otherwise. Being here is not as soul-crushing as he imagined it would be. Not as soul-crushing as what preceded it. Captain Flint was murdered. James got to live for it. And with every shovelful of earth he moves, it feels like he's burying him deeper and deeper into oblivion, where he belongs. Except he's not so naive as to believe that some things can ever be truly buried. Nor does he want to bury them, not anymore. Flint belonged to a time that is now gone. But he doesn't want to forget the terror, the dreams, the possibilities. He can't forget Nassau, or New Providence, or the walrus, or the people who, people who inhabited those places. People he hated, people he killed, people he loved and lost. So, Oh, one of the things that uh, I talked to my writers about was uh, whether they think that fan fiction is real literature. And I think that it is. One of the things that, uh, that someone mentioned um, was that it can't be real literature if a lot of the world building is done for you. But it can. There is no world building in poetry. There's no world building uh, in a lot of short stories, but there's also a lot of world building that happens in a lot of this fan fiction. Some of it is novel length, some of it is a thousand words. And even given the assumption that people are going into this, knowing a lot of the character backstory, that has not stopped the authors from lovingly providing all of the exposition needed to understand these stories. Vicki started listening to the podcast before she saw the show. 
Yeah. And then it was like, oh, got to see the show. So the, the stories can be read on their own. If the writer is any good, um, you'll be able to be completely caught up uh, in the emotions of the story, um, in the themes if the writer has done their job. There is bad fan fiction, but what I have wanted to highlight is really beautiful fan fiction. And I think that with the pieces that I've chosen so far, I've really been able to do that and, and provide them um, with something more than just good job on an internet site. Just wondered if you could touch base on the interest that came from across the pond um, in your work. So, um, in sometime in December, I think, depending, I'm getting over bronchitis. So the podcast has been on a, a little bit of a hiatus for the last month. Um, and uh, one of the reasons is I'm actually really quick is that when I record, every single time I cough or clear my throat or something like that, I hit what's called a marker and it shows up as a red line. So yesterday I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into it. I think I'm finally in full voice. Um, and I recorded 58 minutes, which is about 10 pages of a 43 page story. And these are all my red marks. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, it's going to be a little bit more time before I can finish another episode. Um, but uh, one of the uh, people who listened to the podcast and reached out to me about how much they loved it was uh, Dr. Alex Tankard, who is a professor of English literature uh, working in the UK. And she absolutely loved it, and she's writing um, a, uh, a scholarly work about black sales, which is the show that I primarily focus on, their treatment of uh, queer characters in literature, and also um, looking at fan fiction as a way of liter a form of literary analysis, which it very much is. Um, and so she's actually going to come on as a guest on the podcast. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and she's going to talk about not, not so much a particular story because she doesn't write fan fiction, but we're going to talk about it, um, in terms of literary analysis, which I'm really excited about. Kendra, you do this in your home late at night when your kiddos are asleep and your pets are hopefully... I, I lock up the cats. I have, an, I have a 100-pound dog, quiet as a church mouse. The cats, if I do not put them in a separate room, will howl at the door the entire time. They're so much louder. But uh, I, I have... Um, uh, Jordan helped me set up a little um, closet studio in our basement. And so it's as sound treated as we can get it right now. Um, the mic I have is very, very powerful and I can hear, um, sirens like halfway down O street, um, <laughs> with when I'm listening through the headphones on the mic, cause it picks it up really well. Um, so there, I do have some days off because I work in food service. I have um, odd hours. So I have at least one weekday a week 
where the kids are in school, my husband's at work, and I have the day off, and that is my recording day. And um, so I will, you know, just drink gallons and gallons of green tea and lock myself in the studio. And, and hopefully, a lot of times I've been able to get the whole thing recorded in one go. Um, and then spend every, every minute of recorded audio, if you're editing down to like clean perfection, takes about 10 minutes to edit. So most of my episodes are um, between two and three hours long. Um, so each episode takes a lot of time. Um, so in, in my own sense, this is my way of you know writing a love letter to the fandom. So these authors are spending all this time writing these stories, and I feel that um, you know it, it is you know in my power to spend as much time honoring these stories and making them um, as beautifully read and crystal clear as possible. And um, I've ha I've had you know a lot of people reach out to me who uh, love to listen, to, love to read fan fiction. And again, same situation, moms who listen to audiobooks and can't just sit and read on their phone. Uh, and just like, thank you so much for the podcast. You know, I'm finally able to listen to the stories that I'm not able to sit down and read. Okay, and what do you have it, where, how do you find the podcast? Uh, it is on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. It's called Reading Between the Lines. Okay. And uh, we have, I've put out seven episodes. I put out one a month because, again, it is very labor intensive. Um, and because the episodes are longer, um, there's still people, you know, playing catch up from the month before. They're able to, you know, sometimes listen to the story and then come back later and listen to the interview. Um, but it's in terms of, of personal fulfillment, there are very few things that I've ever done that I felt so connected to, um, that I feel like I'm part of a community and I'm using literally every tool in my toolbox, um, to put this together. It allows me to, you know, perform as a singer. It allows me to write a little bit in terms of, uh, introductions and talking about it and, um, it keeps me on my toes because while I send the, the authors a list of questions, no idea what they're going to say in response. And, um, you know, and what, what all we always have is a genuine conversation where um, we're just bouncing back and forth. And I always have to edit the interviews down. There, we talked for probably three hours each time. Yeah. Um, and, it, and this it's, is sometimes the time difference. Yes. So, yeah. I, however, got used to that while living in Japan. Um, it was something that I was constantly thinking about when trying to call family back at home. Um, so for me, coordinating um, time differences with people living overseas is not a hardship. And a lot of times it does allow me. I have, I've just brought in an, an author that I'm going to work with and she is in Australia. And it's literally, because she's in Western Australia, the exact same time as uh, Japan. So I was like, oh, I know exactly when we can record. And it's just, yeah. So that, that really did prepare me for uh, all of this coordinating, because it is a lot. Cool. Any questions? Are any uh, universities offering literature classes 
on the subject of fan fiction? That I'm not sure. I know that Dr. Tankard teaches basically uh, sections of her class on uh, fan fiction and the, the art of transformative work. And it is, it's becoming, again, uh, much more respected uh, in terms of understanding and acknowledging the true, really, depth of the literary history that fan fiction has. If you take the basic idea and the basic definition of fan fiction, so much work falls under the umbrella of fan fiction. Passion of the Christ, fan fiction. Anything that is based, any passion play you've ever seen where they're not directly quoting the Bible, um, that's, that's fan fiction. It's transformative work. It is making those stories transcend a lot of the, the flat structure that maybe the disciples are not, weren't all the greatest writers of inserting humanity into those stories. A lot of it is very dry. And so when those stories are, are taken out and treated, when you see a Christmas cantata, a lot of that is categorized under transformative work because you're taking all of these ideas. And there is a, there's a line from Sir Isaac Newton, and he said, if I seem to see farther than others, it is because I stood on the shoulders of giants. And that is what fan, fan fiction writers do. They stand on the shoulders of other writers and that allows them to see a bit further and a bit deeper into these stories. The, the original authors move on. They go on to different things. Uh, and their work stays stagnant unless someone is, is able to take <coughs> up the pen and continue digging deeper into these stories. And I find that fascinating. I, I think it's absolutely beautiful. There's a new movie out about the Christmas story, and I can't even think what the name of it is. And when I read about it, I thought to myself, this is, this is like taking the story from the Bible and changing it a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know that term, fan fiction, but it must be fan fiction. It is. And I, I mean, it's had a lot of not so good reviews. In, but yet, it's still, it's still a piece of work. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's also been, if you remember the NBC miniseries they did, Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, with Jeremy Sisto, and he played Jesus. And one of the things that they did to um, draw in viewers was they gave him a personality. Like, he's joking and splashing water and, like, there, it, it gives more um, context to a bunch of guys spending a lot of time together. <coughs> and while it doesn't change any of the core truth of anything that, that is part of the story, it gets you more involved and gets you to understand that the idea of Jesus being fully God, he was also fully man. And a lot of times we don't see that. Uh, we don't we don't see that in scripture, though it is stated again and again. Mm -hmm. So someone decided who wrote that miniseries that Jesus was fully God. We see that all over the text, but Jesus was only also fully man, and I want to explore that. So it's mm -hmm. again a piece of fan fiction. That's a good idea. Yeah.
Interesting. Any other questions? There we go. You know, I did not, I had told Kendra when we talked before um, that I should have included it in the introduction. This is a um, my PEO group. We're a philanthropic educational organization. And um, so um, I, we did go around and say our names and don't. There'd be a quiz on that. <laughs> um, but um, thank you, ladies, for your uh, attention. Kendra, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know I talk a lot. That's why my episodes are so long. <laughs>Thank you so much, Vicki, for not only being such an enthusiastic supporter of me and the podcast, but for fully investing in a complete watch of Black Sales, based solely on the strength of the stories we've featured from a truly stellar lineup of authors from all over the globe. I've had a wonderful reception of the podcast from the fandom in general, but it means so much especially to have that kind of support from friends and family as well. It was truly an honor to speak with all of you though I will go on from time to time. I have a terrible habit of writing pages of notes and then not looking at them so that we instead go on a tangential journey through my neurodivergent brain. Thank you again so much. And thank you to all of our listeners. Whether you're returning or joining us for the first time, we appreciate you and we'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It truly does help us to be discovered by more listeners, which helps to shine a brighter spotlight on these amazing artists and creators. If you're a fanfic author and have a favorite story you'd love to hear and want to join me on the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter at Kenterspring or at AudioficPod, or you can send an email to readingbetweenthelinespod at gmail.com. If you're not an author, but you've got a favorite fic you'd like me to read, all suggestions are welcome. Please reach out. Thanks again for listening. This has been Reading Between the Lines, a fanfic audio podcast. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.